When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. We help them through it. We'll call it what it is. Like, wow. It, and let me just remind you that you're worth this job, that you, you know, you're important here. We need you. You bring value to a workplace. And then we often always kind of see that at the end of their time with us too. And then we remind them that, no, we can, you can go off to full-time work and it doesn't have to have a broken relationship for you to leave. You can leave and it can be a really healthy relationship. So when you're dealing with women with trauma, you have to be very mindful. Usually that the mood or the, whatever they're showing you that day doesn't have anything to do with you or the job. It has everything to do with the 10 and 20 years behind her. Welcome to Business with Purpose. I am your host, Molly Stillman, and this show is all about bringing you the stories behind the brands, the companies, and the small businesses that are changing the world. Each week, I get to sit down with an incredible entrepreneur, community activist, author, speaker, leader, or just an incredible person who is trying to make a positive impact, not only through their personal life, but also with their career. My goal is to show you, the listener, that no matter where you go, no matter what you do, you can make an impact. My guest this week is Carrie Heisey. Carrie's faith and international mission experience working with women artists in co-ops in Central America and Africa inspired the birth of Design for Joy. She's a serial entrepreneur and has founded several small businesses around creating community for women in the Raleigh-Durham area. Carrie's a big believer in encouraging women to pursue their passion. Carrie and I have known each other a long time, and this was long overdue having her on the podcast. So it was such a joy to have her, and you are going to be really encouraged by Carrie's story and the work that she is doing with Design for Joy. So without further ado, we're going to dive right into the conversation with my friend, Carrie Heisey. Today is a very exciting day because I have, I mean, I feel like we go way back uh, I mean, can we, can I say you're an, a longtime friend? Yeah. I mean, we've been watching each other do business for a long time. A long time. A long time. So I have my friend Carrie Heisey on the show. Carrie, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'm super flattered to be here. Thank I'm you. so pumped. And um, I just, it was, I, I was telling you before we were recording, but I feel like I need to also say this to um, the community here is I was having a conversation with a friend and maybe it was actually our, our friend, Abby Tanalia, who was on the show way long time ago. Um, but Abby is, you know, like, like family to me. And I think it was somewhere in there that I was like, how have I not had Carrie on the show? And so I immediately was like, I'm going to remedy this immediately. And so here we are. So Carrie, let's dive right in and have you give us the Carrie 101. So tell us who you are, what you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure thing. Well, I'm wife to Rob. I've got two teenagers, a senior and a junior, and I will cry spontaneously thinking about my senior leaving. I'm one of those. Um, But I have grew up in Myrtle Beach. I have lived in Raleigh my entire adult life. And um, it's my pure pleasure to be serving Raleigh in the way that I do it. I get to do it professionally. So I'm all about it. I'm 100% every day. 
Okay. And so for people that don't know what you do, tell us about Design for Joy. So Design for Joy is transitional work for women who are in crisis. So we work closely with about 20 other nonprofits in our area and who are helping women emerge from trafficking, homelessness, time in prison, substance use, refugees, um, women who need um, maybe their first job experience, maybe fair chance work. Um, maybe they don't speak English. And we have a brand of jewelry, leather bags, and home decor. And through that brand, we employ these women at a living wage. And um, I just got numbers. Ooh. We're five years old, and we've hired 97 women, and they have earned $256,000 through Design for Joy. That's and amazing. I love it. We're just getting started, it feels like. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So I want to go back and we can go back even further than this. Um, but I want to go back specifically to a memory that I have. And that is, and I honestly don't even know when this was my, I, it had to be obviously sometime probably six years ago, but you and I had been obviously, you know, so where we'd gone back was, um, you know, I had done work in the anti-human trafficking space for years at that point, probably five or six years. And I had, you know, served on the board for quite a few nonprofits. And I worked with Transforming Hope, which was a um, anti-human trafficking nonprofit. And I'd, you know, been doing work kind of in the ethical fashion space. And I'd been doing some work in Kenya with artists and groups. And you and I got lunch at Panera. And I will never forget this. And it's it's been such a joy to remember that lunch and remember that conversation and to now think like where you are today is amazing to me. And so basically what I remember from it was we got lunch and you just kind of were like, here's what I'm praying about. Here's what I'm dreaming about. And, you know, tell me what you know. And, and like, it just kind of was one of those, like, let's just dream and pray and, and cast vision. And, you know, what might this look like to, you know, because especially at the time, you know, we were seeing all of these brands that were working with, um, you know, at-risk women internationally, and there really wasn't a great model for that domestically. At the time, Abel was kind of coming about. And so you kind of saw something like that in Nashville and you saw the giving keys in LA and there's some, you know, somewhat smaller examples, Mm -hmm. but there just really wasn't a great model for what would this look like here in our community. And, um, and I just remember that lunch and I just remember leaving that lunch and I said, she's going to do something really amazing. And then here we are. And so, um, I don't know, do you, do you remember this? Yeah, I do remember. And we were really talking about the nuts and bolts. Yes. We're like, do we pay by unit? Do we pay by hour? Like really nuts and bolts of it. But what leading up to that was serial entrepreneur. I owned three other small businesses, always around the idea of community, either encouraging women or families, and then also doing a lot of international work. And we were invited to artisan groups in Central America and um, in Rwanda and Uganda to encourage and inspire artists and groups, sewing groups, what what have you. And we would always leave more inspired than we probably encouraged them. Right. And it was really just this marrying of those two things. Like, wait, it was one day I was like, wait, our women in Raleigh have the same vulnerabilities. Our women in Raleigh are at risk or already being exchanged. Like, let's just bring that same fair trade living wage work model in our backyard. And in two months, we were a 501c3. In yeah. two months, we started hiring women after that decision was made. I remember. I remember. And 
yes. Well, let's talk about that, about your... Yeah, because I remember you even yeah, you used that phrase like I was I'm a serial entrepreneur. I always like so. So let's go back a little bit further, even before that lunch, kind of what led up to that, that lunch and and what life looked like for you in the entrepreneurship space, how you got into that and then what really started to ignite a passion within you for working with um, communities that other people overlook. No, don't make me cry. Um, it's uh, so when my kids were toddlers, I was a stay at home mom, and I tried to fool everybody for a very long time that I was a stay at home mom, but I was not. I was like an entrepreneur at every moment. I started an online publication for like kid and family events, and then I started a t shirt line, um, to inspire moms, which still exists. And um, I just was. I think I was just good at finding the niches that I need that people didn't have a product for or yeah. a service for. Right. And just making that happen. And, you know, I remember the days of being in fetal position on the ground, thinking I had lost a whole email list or mm. all of these like small things that seemed so important there. Now I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful for all those little either mistakes or wins because they make me so much more confident now. Right. Yeah. Right. And so you, you were starting businesses and you were kind of trying your hand at a lot of different things. At what point did you really begin to grasp or, or realize that you had a knack for business in general? Because b- business ownership is hard. Entrepreneurship is hard. Like not, it is not, it is not for the faint of heart. It is not, it is not, uh, not everybody is cut out for it. Um, but at one point, did you realize that this is something that I really, I think I can do bigger and better. And then at what point, again, did you start to realize, okay, I think there's an impact angle to this that I could really implement? So my third business was um, uh, around business, solo entrepreneurs. And um, th- we had an audience of, it still exists as well. And But at, when I, it was under my ownership, we had an audience of 3,000 women. And we met a lot online, but we also met a lot in person. And I think, wh- how old was I then? Yeah, this was Vendrali, right? Yeah, like 40, some 42 maybe. And I was like, oh, and being around other women who are also like trying to grow things. And then you start like recognizing which everyone's um, skills and talents are and seeing how they mix and how they complement one another. And it was actually, it was actually a faith blog post that I read somewhere that was a woman was saying that she felt like her spiritual gift, that she was a gatherer. Mm. And I was like, <laughs> freedom that is totally me because I don't feel like the teacher or the preacher or even like the smartest business person in the room but what I can do is bring people around a cause or I can get people excited about stuff and um, I think there's a lot a lot to be said about women in their 30s and 40s like really owning what makes them different and making that work and um, I'm also really great at delegating and I'm great at bringing people in who compliment me. Mm-hmm. So if you, there was, we had a volunteer at Design for Joy once and she was laughing and laughing about a technical issue. And I would not have been laughing. I would have been stressed out and annoyed by the whole thing. And I hired her that day because I was like, I need someone like you in my life. And um, I enjoy that. Yeah. 
Okay, so I remember that because, yeah, Vend Raleigh is how I guess we initially got connected. And maybe it was through Abby. I don't know. It was one of those, uh, you know, avenues. And so we have this lunch at Panera. You realize, okay, I think we can do this here in the Raleigh area. What did those because I know I know what this looked like for you, but I would love for you to just share with us like what those early days looked like after that lunch, after, you, you know, when you're really like head down, nose to the ground, like we're, we're doing this. What did that look like for you when you began to, you know, make these partnerships with other organizations in the area that were, you know, already kind of in touch with these women, not having a background in design, suddenly designing, you know, products to sell and all of the things. I mean, I just, yeah. Tell us about those days. Well, I should note that my co-founder, Kristen Sido is our designer. Yes. And she and I have been doing ministry and motherhood together for a long time. And she went to the Fashion Institute of Technology. Right. Right. That's right. She worked for, yeah, she worked for some big bag brands. So she knows how to make a $300 purse, thankfully. Yeah. But it looked like this. We would go to some uh, local nonprofits. We'd tell them what we wanted to offer their most vulnerable women. And we were so well received. Like people who didn't know us the day before never heard our names. And they're like, okay, I don't know. There was something in it. They're like, we need that. Our women need that. We're going to trust you. And so they, they were willing, willing to do that. And I tell you what, having already started three nonprofit, I mean, three businesses, this was a nonprofit. Right. And um, I went into this nonprofit world thinking I knew everything there was to know. I had a mission statement. I had a vision. I had our board. I had our values. I knew what the margins were going to be, all of that. So for two months, it was great. (laughs) And then two months, I cried because it was such a learning curve. Like, it was just so, um, I think it was Jerry Seinfeld once who said, like, pain is like, all of this unknown information coming at you at one time. Mm. And I feel like those were my two months um, after the first two months, which is like all of this information, like coming in at me and thinking, oh my gosh, this is bigger. This is more than I thought. I have more preparation and planning to do. I mean, we did well, but personally, professionally, I had a lot of growing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you're right. The nonprofit world is, is a huge learning curve for so many people. And there's so many things that you don't think about. And so many things that, you know, like ducks that you have to have in a row. And it's just like, I hear from so many entrepreneurs in the nonprofit space that they're like, I have ducks, they are not in a row. And they are Uh, currently nowhere near water. Like, it's just a constant. um, It's like this constant juggling of resources. Well, what you were saying earlier about that, thing that meeting in Panera, like I often say like this and growing your own business or or building your own nonprofit, it must be what an artist feels like. Mm. If I am a sculptor or if I'm a painter and I have this thing in me and I have to birth it, like I, I think that's a lot like what it looks like for an entrepreneur or a nonprofit. You could see all the pieces, you know who to put in the right pieces, you know what you have to offer and you know the risk and you know it's worth it. Right. That's how I think of it. So Tell us about some of those early, and you obviously can, you don't need to give names or specifics, but just some of those early women that you worked with that when you, you kind of realized this is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Um, it was probably our second year and, uh, 
leading up to that year, it had been um, women who were a little older, 30s, 40s, 50s, maybe. And then um, then we found uh, we had this partnership with an anti-trafficking org downtown and we were getting referrals for women who were much younger. And there was just something about that, maybe like that mama bear in me or something. But I mean, literally, we would have pimps hanging outside of our door. And I just couldn't like in that season, I just remember thinking, I can't get enough. I want to know all the dark places in our town. I want to be physically in those spaces. So I know what we're dealing with here. And they just inspired me and encouraged me and gave me a lot of courage just to, to find out more. Mm, mm. And what did it look like for these women when they're being invited into a space? space and into a position of ownership and of leadership and they're developing skills. And again, like I kind of alluded to at the beginning is, you know, they're now, they're a part of a group that people tend to overlook or people tend to, um, you know, to discard or, or push off to the side. And you're saying, no, we, we see you, we value you. And not only do we want to come alongside you um, and help you in this season and support you in this season, we're acknowledging that this is just a season, um, a piece of a transitional period. Um, and that's, I think, an important thing to also talk about is most of the women that you work with are, this is a transitional period time for them. This is a transitional season. Um, this is not like a long-term, you know, 30 year career for them. Um, what was that like for them to be invited into that space where they could really begin to thrive? Well, the first day or two is really fun and it's pretty and people are nice to them and they get to eat a warm meal and all of that. And then what usually happens is some self-sabotage because they think, oh, wait, this is too good. Wait till they know what I really did. Wait till, you know, or I, it's just this whole like messy gookie thing, but we, we, we help them through it. We'll, We'll call it what it is like, wow, it. Let me just remind you that you're worth this job, that you, you know, you're important here. We need you. You bring value to a workplace. And then we often always kind of see that at the end of their time with us too. And then we remind them that, no, we can, you can go off to full-time work and it doesn't have to have a broken relationship for you to leave. You can leave and it can be a really healthy relationship. So when you're dealing with women with trauma, you have to be very mindful, usually that the mood or the Um, whatever they're showing you that day doesn't have anything to do with you or the job. It has everything to do with the 10 and 20 years behind her. What were some of the things that you, that kind of surprised you early on in those days, especially, Mm -hmm. or maybe were just um, a little bit harder to work through in those early days, especially when you are working with women who come from backgrounds that are challenging and have just, and, and are working through trauma. And so you're, you've got all these, you know, balls that you're kind of juggling in trying to support and encourage them. And also you're dealing with like the logistics of running a nonprofit. And you're also, you know, working with these partnerships and you're trying to provide a pro or create a product that's going to sell so that you can earn money to pay them. I mean, like what would, you know, talk about some of those challenges. 
Yeah. Um, so I will compliment all of our partners. So we do not have a case manager on staff. That's definitely something that we want for Design for Joy. And uh, we just don't have the budget for it right now. Maybe next year is the year. But we rely heavily on those partnerships. So in the pie of help, we are the piece that's the vocational resource. Right. So we're going to be her employer and we're going to represent what her next employer is going to look like. Um, that's like the daily job training that we do, reminding her, like, if you're late, your employee, your next employer would not find that acceptable. Quality control, like all of these things. So we rely heavily on our case managers that have referred that woman to us. So while we want to represent her employer, we know that they have a case manager that is helping them get their kids back, get housing, what, like whatever it is that they're need, working with their parole officer, whatever it is, that we know that she has someone else behind her. So because we cannot do it all. We right. cannot, and we wouldn't do it well if we were trying to do it all. Right. Was that something that you had implemented from the beginning or was that something that you kind of learned along the way? Yeah. No, we did. And you know what? I bet that was some of Abby's advice. Really? Yeah. She's so smart. That Abby, yeah, she really is. I still call on her today for like nonprofit, just fresh eyes. Yeah. And when, when Abby is happy, it makes me so happy. I know, I know. I know. But that, and I think that speaks to to the importance of doing, realizing, and you, and I know that you always talk about, or you kind of mentioned, you know, you're a gatherer, you're somebody who's really passionate about community and doing things in community and the importance of that in this line of work and what, you know, why we do what we do and how we cannot do it alone. And I think both on the entrepreneurial side, but then also for the women that you work with. You asked me earlier, but it, the question went in a different direction than I thought it might go. But one thing that was really interesting to me that we start with devotion and prayer in the mornings and mm-hmm. you do not have to be a believer in Christ to work with us or to volunteer with us, but that's where we received our like in, inspiration. Yeah. Um, but around our tables, as we gather in the morning, many are Muslim women. Some are not believers at all. It just creates safe place for sharing. What was interesting to me early on is that it's usually not our women who are crying at devotion and prayer time. It's usually our volunteers. <laughs> Because aren't we all like going through stuff? Like we all know what it's uh, abandonment. We all know substance use. We all know divorce. We all know all of these things. And we all go through trauma on some level or another. And so it's very healthy too for our women to be able to see a woman who looks like she has her life together to share that she's also struggling in her marriage or she's also struggling with her teenager or whatever, or, or with anxiety. It actually builds a lot of confidence in everyone in the room mm. and, and, and trust. Because we hear from our, um, our women who come in like, wow, I'm learning to trust women again. Can you imagine coming from the sex industry? And you probably don't trust a lot of women. Either they're your competition or they are exchanging you or everywhere in between. And, and we have a safe, loving place mm. for them. I'm going to take a quick break from my chat with Carrie to thank our partner of the show. And that is Mama Suds. Mama Suds is an incredible mama-owned company. I've had the head mama, Michelle Smith, on the show before. And what I love most about Mama Suds is all of their products are made with clean, non-toxic ingredients. And not only are they clean, non-toxic ingredients, they actually work. We've used everything from their Castile soap to their toilet bombs to their all-purpose household cleaner, which is my favorite. I am telling you, everything is amazing. And I want you to fall in love with Mama Suds too. 
Head on over to mamasuds.com, use the coupon code MOLLY, and that gets you 15% off your order. That's mamasuds.com, use the code MOLLY for 15% off your order. Now back to my chat with Carrie Heisey. So when a woman comes into the program and you know, comes, so say like, I'm curious what the the process tends to look like for you. So you get a referral from one of your ministry partners or nonprofit partners. What does it look like when you hear about Anne, who is, you know, fresh out of prison, was trafficked, you know, and I'm just kind of giving a generic example, but there are very real examples of you have, you have Anne who was fresh out of prison. She was trafficked, you know, she's in recovery from drugs and she hasn't had a steady job in a long, long time. What does it look like when, from when you bringing, bring her into the program, bring her into partnership with design for joy and, and, you know, from there on. So we used to not interview women. We would just bring her right in for immediate work, immediate employment. Uh, But what we started doing was interviewing them more as a practice for them, just to get the practice. Um, We also will run a background check, which is a very difficult day when those background checks come back, when you see your past in black and white on a piece of paper. But it also prepares her to be able to speak to that when she goes to her next interview. She can talk about, you know, her recovery or or what, what she's learned through that process. It's changed a little bit now. Through COVID, we found a really interesting way to serve more women. So women come to us and they work three to six months and we pay them living wage. They work 20 to 25 hours a week. Uh, We don't have full-time work, but honestly, what we found is that that 20 to 25 hours a week, it would be the same amount if they were working at somewhere else for a minimum wage. And it gives them flexibility so they can catch up on their medical care if they've been in prison or meet with our PO whenever they need to see their parole officer or whatever it is that they need. So we started doing day work. So women could come in uh, during COVID and work for the day. We pay her cash. We feed her lunch and then we pay her cash at the end of the day. And we can do that up to seven times in case John is listening as a 1099. As a 1099, you know, independent contractor. And so what we found is for some women, they just need to get, you know, maybe they already have a job waiting for them. They just need some money to get them by for the next couple of days. Um, But for others, they'll come in, they'll do this day work. And then we find like, wow, this is just a really great fit. And that doesn't mean she's a great sewer or that she has a great attitude. It just means like, Do her kids have a safe place to be while she's working? Is she sober? You know, is she not too far along on the mental health spectrum where, like you mentioned earlier, we really do have orders that we have to push out. Right. And that's been a really interesting way for us to invite more women into our space after a little bit of a trial period. But our our whole initiative is to give immediate employment to to as many women as we can. Um, We want to be able to say yes every single time. Can we? No. Sometimes there's a budget issue or sometimes there's a waiting list. Um, But, you know, we cannot solve this problem on our own. What we want to do is be an example for small business owners and large corporate leaders to think about let me look at my demographic. How much? How many people on our staff have a felony? And why aren't we hiring from that? Or how many of our women are uh, sex trafficking survivors? And how can we bring in trauma support to help bring those women in? Because the need is ongoing. Like right. there's no way Design for Joy can solve this problem. Right. It's a, it's a drop in the bucket. But it's what's amazing is that you are you're making a difference because those women that you work with that... Um, you know, that are able to transition into a, you know, into their next career or, or um, it really has a ripple effect 
long term and their children are able to see mm-hmm. what their mom, you know, is accomplishing. And, and Molly, there was a woman last Christmas, we had a woman who's, who had been um, in the sex industry, not by choice. And she was getting nervous about having enough gifts for Christmas. And she was literally considering turning some tricks because she's like, Carrie, it's great that I can make $15 an hour, but I used to make $200 in 30 minutes. And we all know it's easy to fall back to really unhealthy lifestyles, right? But we reminded her, look, this this is your worth. Like you can bring your children to your workspace here. You can be proud of what you're doing. You could, you could show off what you're doing to them. It's And just teaching her that, you know, it takes some time, but you want to be contributing you know, a community member, you have, you want to have a job that you can be proud of that you can build on and that um, you can find respect in yourself, but also people can find respect in you. Anyway, that's just really interesting. Like having to remind people that there's options Mm. and they don't have to do that. And they can have, even if you're making less money, it's a life that's worth investing in. Like that's what you want. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I have seen that in many of the organizations that I've worked with, um, where you have women that it's a fight and it's, and it's, I mean, it is, (laughs) it's, we could really get into the spiritual aspect of it because it is, it is a fight against dark enemy forces and whether people want to admit that or understand that or not, um, it is. And, um, you know, some of the women that I've worked with over the years in different organizations, have faced those same struggles where yes, their, their life is, you know, getting cleaned up and, and they're, um, they're doing dignified work and they're, you know, they're not falling into old patterns, but then times come when they're just faced with unimaginable choices. And they're like, yes, well, I'm making a living wage over here, but I can go back to my old lifestyle and I can turn some tricks and I can make seven times as much money but the it's the trade-off that they're making yeah. and it is it, and often it is it is for many women it is often a choice that they're having to make because they cannot put food on their table or they cannot pay their rent that is the thing so like for, for the women who come in for our day work who aren't in the 3 month program yet they are getting a hotel room for the night They, like one time it was snowing and a woman came in and she got a hotel room for the night and brought all of her female friends into her hotel room. She kept everyone safe that night or basic needs or just food, medicine. It's, it's pretty incredible. And you know, proximity is so important. So if some of these words sound like kind of foreign to your listeners, I would encourage them to find uh, some organization in your community who is serving women at these, in these at risk situations and work closely with them. Keep showing up for six to 12 months and just uh, have a friend in that space who can teach you what it's really like, but not for your selfish reasons, but to be able to advocate for her and bring more people in. And to have healthy conversations around these things and to educate yourself because so often the media and movies and, you know, things portray these women in a certain light and you don't understand um, it makes it harder to understand the situations that they're coming from. And um, it's the importance of helping both 
you know, you, me, um, us collectively to understand that we are no better than these women. We are no different than these women. We just have very unique and different circumstances that are we've been faced with in our lives, um, that these women hold as much value and dignity as we do. That is, you know what I mean? Like that is so important to have those conversations and to acknowledge that, that this is, uh, that these situations are often nuanced and challenging. And so many of these women, you know, were put into these situations by circumstances that are so far out of their control. Yeah. And it, it, it is, oh man, it gets, it's complicated and it's messy. But when we get into the mess, when we get into those situations and we say, okay, I'm going to get in the muck with you and I'm going to listen to your story and we're going to, you know, connect. And I loved how you said how, you know, some of the women that are in the program love hearing from the volunteers and just realize, oh my gosh, we have so much more in common than, than not. Yes. We have some of the same fears and worries and anxieties and we're self-conscious about the same parts of our bodies and you know, like, just yeah. all the things that happen in life. Um, but maybe the lens through which we see those things is different. So I'm reminded of this one woman who came into my studio and she said, last month I was pregnant and in prison and I need a job. And I was like, okay, you have a job. Like we hired her in that moment. And, you know, listening to her story was just like, the, she just had lack of resources, you know, she right. had a mom who was an addict. She got a speeding ticket and then she, you know, she lost her license and then, but has to go to work. So she drove and then she gets a, a warrant, like this whole like rabbit hole of issues. Well, when I was 20 something, I could call my dad and he could pay that $200 bill. But when you're coming from transition, I mean, from generational poverty and you're coming from a house that's broken with substance use, you don't have those resources. Right. So it's it's good to be mindful of that. So tell us where Design for Joy is now versus where it is where it was when it started. What has happened? I mean, because five years, which is one, is kind of amazing. Um, what year was it when I emceed the gala? Was that 2019? Yeah, it must have been. Right Gosh. before right before the world. So like three years ago? I yeah. can't believe that. Um, yes. I would have thought it was so much sooner than that. But yeah, it would not have been since 2020. So it had to have been 2019. So five years, you've been in existence. You have moved from like a tiny little shop to now you have this beautiful shop in Raleigh. And yeah, walk us through the changes in five years, the numbers, whatever you want to share. So we started off in borrowed space. So there was a nonprofit and then there was a church that let us come in and bring our sewing machines and do all the work and then pack up every single day. It was crazy, well, very manual. And then we found this tiny little 800 square foot space, downtown Raleigh. And um, then we moved into a 1400 square foot space um, and then COVID hit. And then we did close for seven weeks, but after seven weeks, we brought 85% of our women back in, which was, I felt like a pure miracle. We've been working all through COVID. We've been spaced out. We've been wearing masks. We've been keeping our women safe. Our community rallied around us in unbelievable ways. We did six figures over um, 2019 and mm -hmm. 2020, both in product sales and in donations. Wow. 
So they set us up in COVID to move to a 5,000 square foot studio uh, warehouse, a production studio where we're, where we're at now. So, I mean, the, the space is an, an incredible like illustration of our growth. Um, but just having um, the day work programmed that complements our regular program. I mean, that's incredible growth. Our partnerships continue to grow. Yeah. I mean, how have you changed in five years? Oh, gosh. My enthusiasm has not dwindled. Like my uh, Kristen, my co-founder and I, like we're still like 100 percent into this every single day. We're just so eager and excited to serve women. Maybe I'm a little wiser. I have a lot more people around me and I want to learn from them. Um, I love a mentor. I have business mentors. I have nonprofit mentors. So anytime anyone who's a couple of steps ahead of me is willing to like spend some time with me, I'm all ears. I don't know. I try to be an example of a better balanced life to my staff. I'm always making sure that I'm letting them know that their families come first. And even with Christmas around the corner, and this is where we make our, our most money, their health, their mental health, their kids programs and all that is, is more important than our work, even though we love it just to take care of themselves. I don't know. Mm, mm. In that time, you know, you've grown wiser, you've, you know, gotten experience, you know, you've gotten a little like, there's some, been some blood, sweat and tears uh, under your belt. Um, what has been the thing that has like, how has your faith helped to sustain you, challenge you, grow you? Like, was that, how has that played into this? Well, I mean, I feel like every two weeks when payroll is due, it's time to renew my faith <laughs> and just his reminder of his committed faithfulness. Um, so I have like a small yeses list. And when I look back, especially in my, like the realm of women's ministry, like I can see like how all my small yeses have really led me up to this point and really prepared me as much as possible for this point. So, you know, I was doing international mission work. And then after a couple of trips, I mean, I just fell in love with it. Then I went and asked the SEND organization that we were with if I could lead a women's trip because I felt like that's what I was supposed to be doing. And they said, yes. Mm. And then we started doing, you know, there's something, there's pros and cons to international missions. Okay? Right, like, right. I say that. But it does build this confidence in you outside of your normal space that it's like there's none other. So we were then doing clothing drives downtown and then women kept asking us for bras and I kept telling we don't have bras. But then I was like, well, why don't we have bras? So then we started doing bra fittings downtown. We would measure women who are expo experiencing homelessness. We would measure them and they would leave with two brand new bras like they were at a boutique. And then we started taking, since we were doing mission teams, we started taking like a hundred women to the beach to do girls weekends and retreats there. And then, you know, just like all these little guesses were building my confidence all along. Right. Mm. So that's much like a gratitude journal when you can think, wow, I'm feeling lonely. Is God seeing me? And you maybe kept a list of gratitude and you're like, wow, he's faithful here, 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 and here. The same thing about my small yeses. Like I see like, okay, okay, he's preparing. And people ask me all the time, like, what's next? Like, will you be designed for joy forever and ever? And I think, no, like, I'm pretty sure God has one more idea for me. Mm. What does one more? Let's try, let's try one more. My four, my checklist for 
knowing if this is the next right move for me is, is it in alignment with God's will? Meaning, is this good for, you know, the world, the kingdom? And then the second thing is if my husband sees it, like, yeah, he's, he's really good with the discernment. And I wish I had known how smart he was when I, 15 years ago. <laughs> and the second, uh, the third thing would be like, do I have any experience in that area? Can I add value to that? Do I have knowledge in that? Even just a little bit. And then the fourth thing is if it makes me uncomfortable or scared, I know I'm supposed to do it. Ooh, that'll preach. Because I think there are people that would say that if it makes them uncomfortable or scared, that that gives them pause and they don't do it. And I love it. Yeah, I have an idea right now, but it doesn't really scare me. So that makes me think, I don't know if that's for me or not. Okay, Carrie, that'll preach. That'll preach. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, so before we're starting to uh, run out of time, but before we do and um, we get to the get to know you round, talk to me, you know, and you don't have to tell me what your ideas are, but like what's on the horizon for Design for Joy? How can people best support Design for Joy right now, especially like if they're local versus if they're not local and they want to shop the beautiful products or whatever? Tell us all the things. Yeah. Well, I should tell you one story, quick story of a specific woman named Lisa. She came to us and um, she is, was actually in her late fifties and she had lived a, a life of isolation for 10 years in a, in a trafficking situation locally. Mm. And um, she came to us referred to by a, a restoration organization. And when she came to work for us, she was kind of prickly. But you can imagine that if you've never been in a workplace before in, in a decade, that you're going to be a little prickly. Right. But um, she just grew so, so much with us. And she left us for full-time work in construction. And it wasn't it wasn't too long ago when she came back to the studio. And that's always amazing when women that we serve come back to either donate or buy or volunteer. But she came by and she brought a puppy. She has a brand new puppy. And mm. the thing is... Not that she had a dog, but that she would have security and stability and resources to care and love for something other than herself. Like that was the beauty mm. of it. Oh, that's so, that's so awesome. I love it. So design for joy. I mean, we're definitely in, in our, in a sweet spot. Like we, we feel like the way that we're serving women is, is going really well. We get very positive feedback from our partners as well. We say that we have like a 90% success rate. And that doesn't mean that every woman goes off to full-time work, but she's definitely more stable than she was when she came came through design for joy. Our wholesale business is booming. We go to market in Atlanta. So we see a lot of growth there. We see a lot of growth in our retail grants are catching on. Um, so, I mean, I feel like we're really in many ways, just getting started in the way that everyone can help. You can certainly shop. This episode is going to be um, shared um, Thanksgiving week. So giving Tuesday is going to be right around the corner. If you give $30 a month to design for joy, that covers one hour of pay and an hour's worth of materials for that job. Mm -hmm. um, so if we had several, you know, people helping with that, that's money that we can rely on as like a subscription form. And um, you can, if you're local, you can volunteer. And if you're not local, we can um, ship you some products and you could do a porch party with your friends. Oh, I love it. I love it. Well, Carrie, like I said, it has been an absolute joy, no pun intended, <laughs> to watch you grow and evolve over the last five plus years. And um, it's funny, this November, I was remembering 
that five years ago, like shortly right after you started, we even held the Root Collective five-year birthday party at your little 800 square foot space in Raleigh. So it was like you had just started, but then Root Collective was celebrating five years. And I just think that that's, I just think that's so fun. I mean, and they buy from us for their um, Christmas gifts. Yes. So, I mean, it's such a great relationship. It's, it's no joke when we say that we are in a community that it's very, uh, it's collaborating and they're not competition on a nonprofit side and on the ethical business side, like so many friends are pushing each other through whatever they're going through. Mm, mm, Yeah. So good. Well, for everybody listening, I will have uh, Design for Joy's details in the show notes so you can shop till your heart's content and to your heart's content. And uh, we are, we're heading into the holiday season and I am always advocating for shopping small businesses, shopping ethically, supporting incredible brands that are doing it well. And not only are the products, you know, obviously make an impact, but they're beautiful (laughs) and amazing. And the bags are beautiful. The jewelry is beautiful. The home decor is to die for. I want literally all of it. Um, And John Stillman, my financial advisor husband is like, you're going to need to slow your roll there. Um, So... (laughs) Um, okay, Carrie, now is the portion of the show where we ask just some fun get to know you questions. So stressful to me. No, don't be stressed. Don't be stressed. It's okay. gonna be really great. Okay. okay. First question is what is something that was particularly memorable or impactful in the past year? I mean, right away I think about my teenagers. They're like in this crazy season, they're like dating and driving and applying for college. And I get to be a part of it. Oh, I love that. I love that. I am a a few years behind you, but man, yeah, it's a, it is a, it's bittersweet when you see your kiddos growing up, growing up. Okay. Um, what is something that I would never guess about you? Um, I skied the Alps. Oh, that's fun. When did you do that? A long time ago. I can't ski at all. It's horrible. I, it's my least favorite thing to do. <laughs> but you casually skied the Alps. I have skied the Alps and lived to tell about it. Okay. I'm not saying I enjoyed it, but I did it. So when I was in high school, we went uh, some friends. I don't know if it was a field trip. I honestly don't remember if it was a field trip. I would have to like fact check this with a couple people that I know were on it. If it was a field trip or if it was just like, a group from my high school went, you know what I mean? But there was like a a bunch of us from my high school. We'd gone to Snowshoe, West Virginia. And we went on this ski slash snowboard trip. And there was this guy that I like had a thing for and he was really good at skiing and I am not good at skiing. And I had, you know, but I was like trying to, you know, be like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm good at skiing. Anyway, I just kind of like mindlessly followed this guy up a ski lift. And I did not know that once you're up there, you have to ski down. You cannot ride the ski lift down. Turns out the ski, the ski lift took us up to this like triple black diamond run. And here I am who doesn't know how to ski. And so like the guy I had this crush on just looks back and is like, all right, we'll see ya. And he goes skiing down this triple black diamond. And then I basically had to like scream slash cry slash scoot down this massive mountain. It was not my finest moment. I have cried on many 
any snow house before. Well, it was either that or I tell you that I kissed Darius Rucker once. Wait, so. I'm sorry. Wait, okay. Uh, dropping that bomb and then walking away. You kissed Darius Rucker? I did do that. That's usually a drinking story, but... Um, hey, I mean, can I know the details of this story? It sounds a lot better than it was. Oh, I'm okay. sure he doesn't remember it all. Hey, I can't say that I've kissed Darius Rucker. Now, was this like country version Darius Rucker or was this Hootie? Oh, Hootie. Hootie Darius Rucker. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Carrie. All right, Carrie. All right, you got a little bit of cool points over there for you. I'm Not that you weren't already really cool, but that's just Thanks. like takes you to another level. What do your children think about the fact that you've kissed Darius Rucker? I don't want to hear about any of them. <laughs> I don't think I'm cool at all. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. Um, if you had to eat the same meal for dinner every night for the rest of your life, calories don't count, what would it be? Chips and salsa. And I think I do that every night. Yeah. Yeah. Chips and salsa. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down. Okay. Not a dinner. <laughs> okay. What is a dream that you have yet to achieve? Well, um, my big dream is to retire back in Myrtle Beach with my husband. And that's his dream too. And so that's what we're working hard for. I love it. I love it. Okay. And then my last question is the question I ask all my guests. And that is, Carrie, what does it mean to you to run a business with purpose? I mean, I'm betting my whole life on it. All my feelings, all my finances, everything's at risk. My pride, my reputation, mm. my family works hard on it too. And um, that's what it means to me. It literally everything. Mm. Thank you for being here, friend. I'm so thanks. glad that you were here. And thanks for sharing your heart with us. Thanks. I love Carrie so much. And I love the work that she does with Design for Joy. She really, really is somebody who puts her, her actions where her mouth is. She is absolutely incredible. Be sure to check out and shop and support Design for Joy this holiday season. I would love to know what you loved about this episode or if there was something that you learned. Please let me know on social media. You can find me at Still Being Molly or at Business with Purpose Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would take a moment to leave a review and click that subscribe or follow button on whatever podcast app you listen to, that would be amazing. And also, as I've been kind of teasing for a little bit, we've got a couple weeks left before the rebrand of this podcast, which I'm so pumped about. I've been working on it behind the scenes for months now. And for those of you who are sticking around who are still here, you know that this is going to be really exciting. I cannot wait to tell you all about it. So if you subscribe or follow the podcast as it is, don't worry, you will be getting the new podcast or I shouldn't say new podcast. I really need to do better about saying that. <laughs> but you will get the rebranded podcast in your podcast feed if you're already subscribed. So be sure to look for that. I'm going to have an episode at the end of December that will talk all about the rebrand and we will launch first thing of the new year, which can you believe we are just a little bit over a month before 2023? I can't believe it. Well, as always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to the team at Third Wheel Media for producing the show. And as always, go do something good with purpose on purpose. <laughs>